everyone. It really is good to be back together. Um, just before I get going this morning, if you want to find Haggai in your Bibles while I'm chatting, go for it. Um, find the New Testament, long way through the Bible. So if you come to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you need to go back a few pages, okay? And that's the easiest way to find it, or look up the page number in the front. Um, we started this a few weeks ago. Nigel picked up last week after a couple of um, weeks break. Um, this book of Haggai, and week one, if you remember, I, I ended up saying that, that one of the main central themes of Haggai is, is this, that when we are passionate as God's people, when we're passionate about God's glory, then we begin to prioritize the things that God is passionate about. When we, as followers of Jesus, are passionate about him being glorified in our lives, in our community, when we get to that point in our walk with him, then we begin to prioritize the things that God is passionate about. So as we, get, as we go on our walk with Jesus, as my spirit-led self walks with Jesus, as I grow in Christ-likeness, as I, as, I, as I learn what it, the kingdom of God looks like, as I go on with Jesus, I begin to have changed priorities and motives. And I begin to desire, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. So if you like, that's kind of like a banner across this book of Haggai. When we're passionate about the glory of God, then we as God's people begin to prioritize the things that God is passionate about. Week one, you'll remember chapter one, we looked at um, where God said to the returned um, exiles from Babylon, he said, consider your ways. What's your priorities? They, they had failed in the task of rebuilding this temple, and they were busy building their own homes. Do you remember that? And God says, hey, consider your ways. That was chapter one. Go back and listen to that online if you weren't here. But God gave two reasons that we should want to build his house is one, for God to take pleasure in it. Because God takes pleasure in his house. He takes, he's glorified in his house. And second, because he's glorified in our sacrifice of worship to him. And God says, these are the motives. Not because it's just that things go well for you, but first and foremost, that I am glorified. And then Nigel last week looked at Haggai, the first half of chapter one, um, about the glory of God. And that this temple that they had begun to build and work on, the glory of it was nothing like the glory of Solomon's temple from an outward perspective. And that they had missed this moment, that they had wrong expectations of what is it that God is calling us to. That God's people had wrong expectations about the glory of this temple. And there would have been people in the community who were rebuilding, who were in their 70s, and they'd come back from exile and they remembered the splendor of Solomon's temple. And they remembered this, this, this place was just majestic. But look at, look at this in comparison. It, it kind of pales into insignificance. What we're building right now is not glorious at all. Solomon's temple was glorious, but this thing is just, well, it's just like a box. You know, it's all right. But... And in Ezra, as Ezra's telling this story, he's saying, when this temple was being built, there were tears of sadness as some of the older folk in the community remembered the splendor and glory of Solomon's temple. And there were, some, there were also tears of joy as people saying, hey, we're building the house of God. But the challenge in this oracle in chapter 2 from verses 1 to 9 is that Haggai is saying to the people, your expectations are wrong. 
You're looking at things on the outside. You're not looking at what God is doing. So let's read again um, verses 1 to 9. This is Haggai 2, verses 1 to 9. In the seventh month of the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw the house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. What an amazing statement that is. So often we think of, oh, well, when Jesus died and then ascended and sent his spirit, Pentecost, hey, the, suddenly the spirit appears on the scene. No, the spirit is God and has eternally been God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God says, my spirit. In the Old Testament, we don't often think like this, but God says, my spirit is, remains in your midst. Fear not. Hey, exile, my spirit is in your midst. Isn't God just, isn't that incredible? For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations or the desire of nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, declares the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So people have rebuilt this temple or begun rebuilding it. And they're kind of complaining, God, this place just does not cut it. It just, this is meant to be your dwelling place among us that, that the nations look on and go, wow, God is among them. But it's kind of just like, it's kind of like Dorkin Academy. It's not the prettiest of buildings. I mean, I doubt it was like Dorkin Academy. You get my point. It's, and God says, no, through Haggai, your expectation is wrong. You're to look beyond what you can see with your physical eyes. Hey, Joshua and Caleb, anybody, does it just remind you that. You, that. As God's people, there's two ways of looking at things. There's our physical eyes or there's the eyes of our heart, the eyes of our spirit, our spirit-led self. And we can look at things and go, oh my goodness, wolves, giants, opponents, threat. Hey, that's human eyes. Or there's eyes of faith where you look and you say, wow, God's glory. I mean, it's just full of abundance and life and God is, God is doing this. He's going to lead us there. He's going to do it. And God's saying to his people, you need those kind of Joshua and Caleb-like eyes right now to see the glory of this house. The glory of this latter house will be greater than that of the former one. Hey, this thing that looks to you not that great right now will one day exceed the glory even of Solomon's temple. Be strong. Just 
Church, I just want to, for a moment, park on that drumbeat. Be strong, be strong, be strong. Not in yourself, not your own strength, not, not our ideas, but because God is in our midst. Be strong. I just want to say that to you personally right now. If you're facing challenges and situations, you go, it's all very nice saying about this temple, but boy, I've walked in here this morning and life has hit the fan. It's a mess. Be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. I just pray for you right now that, that the Spirit would come afresh in your midst, right into the heart of where you are. And if all you can do is just barely squeeze out the words and say, God, I need you, just pray that, that as you draw near to him, even with a simple statement of desperation, that you would find the, the Spirit flooding your life right now, strengthening you, giving you eyes to see God's hand in your life in the midst of what might be desperate circumstances. Just bless you today. This... This prophecy of Haggai um, wasn't just a nice thing that Haggai was saying to encourage the troops. I mean, it did encourage the troops, but it wasn't just, oh, how can I G them up? How can I cheer them up? This was a prophetic promise from God. And the temple was completed around 519 BC, and 500 years later, this prophetic promise of God was in part fulfilled. Herod, Herod the Great had expanded this temple under the Roman Empire. He made it bigger and grander on the outside. But listen to this in verse 7, 8, and 9. Listen to what God says. I will shake the nations so that the treasures of all nations will come in, or the desire of nations. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. He goes on to say in verse 9, The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, and in this place I will give peace declares the Lord of hosts. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the Messiah. Saying there's a day when this temple will be filled with the glory of God. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, at the end of the Old Testament, we then had 500 years of silence before Jesus rocks up. And Malachi chapter 1, he's talking right into this, and he says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. It's a suddenly of God. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord whom you are seeking will come into his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come in, says the Lord of hosts. And Jesus, in Luke 2, you can read this, we're not going to read it now because of time, but Jesus comes in as a, temp as a baby even. He's presented, and, and remember that amazing moment with um, Anna and Simeon. See, the glory of the Lord has entered the temple, even as a baby. How's a baby glorious? It's a hidden glory. And then Jesus, as a 12-year-old, comes, and you remember that fantastic story that makes every parent feel a bit better when he's in the temple and his parents bog off back home and he's still sat in the temple in his father's house and they have that crisis parent moment where you go, are we useless? Back we go, pick up our son. He's like, I'm fine just chilling out with my father, talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. and The glory of God in a 12-year-old boy in the temple. 
a hidden glory. And then in Matthew 21, Jesus goes to the temple and he kicks over, turns over all the tables of the money, um, you know, basically the guys that were trying to rip everybody off spiritually in the temple. The ones that were exchanging money for sacrifices and ripping people off. And Jesus began to preach right there and then in the temple and began to heal people and proclaimed his death the week he was going to die and said, this temple will fall. There won't be a stone remaining on top of stone. He says, I'm going to die for you. That you may have peace between you and God. Jesus says, I'll send you my peace. I'll send you my spirit who will come, just as it said in Malachi. I send you my peace. You remember Jesus, when he was preparing his disciples for his death, said, my peace I give you. My peace I leave you. And he breathed on his disciples. Hey, Jesus says, I'm going to die. I'm going I'm to I'm, I'm die. And this temple will not be standing. And he was talking about his body, but then the temple did fall eventually. It did fall again. And Jesus says, here's another promise that you need to hold on to. I am coming back. Here's a new promise from God. I am coming back. I am returning for my bride. And, and this, the reason I'm saying this is because there's a shape in the gospel of hidden glory. And it's in John's gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and he was God. And you have God in his, Jesus in his glory, with the Father, with the Spirit, the Trinitarian relationship. And then he is sent by the Father and steps down from heaven into the pit of the world. Even to the lowest point of low, even to death. But not just any old death, death that upon a cross, the, the criminal's death, the shameful death where he was stripped naked. And to all the eyes of the world, it's this temple moment. It looks like the most unglorious of moments. Hey, this God of glory. I mean, it just looks like foolishness. What kind of God would strip himself naked in front of the world and be spat upon and mocked? Well, that's not what gods do. Gods come and they reign in the temple. And Jesus' disciples, they come to him and say, wow, look at this temple in Matthew 24. Look at this temple and all the splendor. And Jesus says, I tell you what, yeah, it's all right, but it won't stand. It's going to be destroyed again. But I'm going to rebuild this temple. It'll be raised up. And what is the lowest moment, the most unglorified of moment? Turns out when John says, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Turns out to actually be the most glorious of moments. When Jesus is enthroned on high above the nations. And then, because he, has, that because he is the sacrificed lamb, the perfect son of God who died to take away the sin of the world, the Father exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that he is also not only God, but Lord of lords and saviour. And he's exalted him even higher. And I can't get my theological brain around what that means, that Jesus, who is God, was exalted to even higher. But that's the shape of the gospel. It's the shape of the Christian life. It's the shape of the kingdom of God that the most unglorious moments, the moments of hidden glory, turn out, in fact, to be God's glory. They turn out to be moments that God is glorified and honored. And this prophetic word still has yet to be fulfilled. You see, as the church of Jesus Christ, we have encountered the glory of God in the face of Jesus. You, you and I, most of us, I'm assuming, haven't seen him face to face. And I say that because there are people who do encounter Jesus face to face. But most of us haven't encountered him face to face, but hey, we've met him. We, he speaks to us. 
We've encountered him. He came to us even when we were lost and dead. The shepherd came and found us. And we've encountered him. But there's more glory yet to be revealed. And the story goes right through to Revelation Revelation 21, and the Apostle John said this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was now no longer any sea. And I don't think that does mean physical sea. I, the sea, um, no kite surfing. Um, and he says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her, hus- for her husband. And I heard the loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and he will be, He himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed. He who's seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. You see, there's a, there's a glory that is still waiting to be revealed. And, and the scriptures tell us that even creation is waiting for the sons of glory to be revealed. Even creation is saying, come on, hurry up, sons of glory, be revealed. Come on, God's children, be revealed. And, and, we told, and, we, and the apostle Paul, he tells us this. He says... It's God's intent, Ephesians 3.10, God's intent that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. I don't know about you, but I look at myself and I look at us and I go, God, really? This is your manifold wisdom on display to the spiritual realm? We're on display. We're not hidden to the spiritual world. And the angels look on and go, wow, God's wisdom. Wow, that mystery of age is now revealed. Jew and Gentile, together, one new man, God's new tribe. Wow. And sometimes, I don't know about you, I look on the church and I go, we're just a bit of a messy group of people. Even the ones of us that think we've got it together kind of haven't. And you kind of look at the church in Philippi with Lydia, you know, Miss Gucci, and the Philippian jailer. Mr. Gruff sorts out an argument either by bashing heads together or chucking a sword through somebody's stomach. They encounter Jesus and he brings them together in his body. He says, my church, my church, my my bride, my children I love, my manifold wisdom on display. Really, God? Hey, yeah, because it's a hidden glory. And one day it will be revealed. You see, Jesus had a hidden glory. And our idea of what glory looks like isn't always God's. And Jesus had a hidden glory. For most people, he just looked like an odd guy going around teaching, somehow doing a few weird miracles. He didn't look like the, the Son of God incarnate. God himself made flesh dwelling among us. He looked like an ordinary guy. Isaiah 53, for he, Jesus, grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. From an outside appearance, there was a hidden glory. And Malachi says, no, but he's the one you decide, you desired. He's the one who, where glory really reigns and dwells within him. 
So Jesus is a young child and is a baby and is this odd teacher talking about his death, going, I know he's more than a teacher, but to the outside appearance, going to the temple. Haggai saying, glory will come to this temple. To the world, it doesn't look very glorious. And God's glory in the church, we just said, this is the manifold wisdom of God on display. Sorry, folks, it's you and me. And if you don't like it here, because our spirit of the ages don't like it here, go off to the next one. I'll tell you what will happen, is you'll go to the next one, and do you know what you'll find? You'll find people just like you and me. I, there was a sad moment a few weeks back, and I say, please hear my heart in this. I'm not going to name any names, but somebody who's leaving Gateway said, the reason I'm leaving is because there's lots of cultures, and I don't like it. I want to be somewhere where there's one kind of culture. What? What? Like, this is God's plan. We are a multifaceted people. We are a family of families. Young, old, different backgrounds, different education, different races, different ethnicities. Coming together, the multifaceted wisdom of God. I'm like, this is God's only plan. There's only one kind of church. It's Jesus' church. It's that, it's that picture of the, the tribes of the world gathered around the throne of Jesus for all eternity, declaring, you are worthy. You've rescued men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And Jesus, you're to be exalted forever and ever. And I broke my heart because I'm like, this is what we're about. This is what we're about, not because we just like it, but because it's right in the heart of God. See, 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul said, we who are living stones, remember we are this temple, a living temple, the dwelling place of God. We who are living stones in this temple are being changed from one degree of glory to the next. And it's not a, guys, get out your, um, what's, I don't even know what spray polish is called these days, um, you know, pledge. pledge. Thanks, Sarah. Um, it's not get out your pledge and polish up your halos and make yourself look shiny. It's not get the Pope to turn you into a saint. You are saints. If you're in Christ, you are a saint. You don't need the Pope to make you something. Jesus has done it. And you are a saint. And it's not now live this pious life where you have to get every single thing right. Never make a mistake. And if you do, oh boy, back to the temple I go. Better offer a sacrifice. You go, you run to Jesus. You say, thank you. Thank you. That righteousness isn't about getting everything right. It's about my spirit-led self. Learning to be led by you into righteousness. Being changed from one degree of glory to the next until I see you face to face. Then in an instant, you'll be like him. And there's a day that's coming when the whole earth, past, present, and it won't be future after that, but we'll see the glory of God and we'll declare that Jesus is Lord and Savior. There's a day coming when the hidden glory of God will be revealed to the whole world. You see, what does this mean for us, just in closing? Our vision is to be a people who exist to give themselves away to see God glorified. And we do that in three main ways. We give ourselves away to God in worship, which is where we were a few weeks ago. If you remember, God, you're worthy of this sacrifice of worship. We give ourselves away to God first. We give ourselves away to one another in family, which I just want to make a quick point on in a moment. And we give ourselves away to our neighbors and to the nations. You see, there's something that is so precious about the church of Jesus. Yes, the church at large, and I hope you know that our drumbeat here is we want to pursue unity 
with the church. We want to do everything we can to strengthen the church, to serve the church, to, to be there for the church's success in this town, across the nations of the world. We're passionate about it. Something in our generation that is exciting. And he really is. This is like, and it's not just me. This is happening right across the country. It's not just Swindon. It's, God is joining hearts of churches in a way like he never has before. And God is doing something significant in our day. We say, God, do more of it. But there's a unity that Jesus prayed for for his church. And so often we think, oh yeah, church is out there. Let's just be friends. Leaders be friends. Churches be friends. Well, sure, great. But what about the unity of bond of peace in here? When Jesus prayed to his father, Father, my prayer for them is that you make them one as we are one. He wasn't just talking about gateway, discovery, Freshbrook, evangelical, Bayak, so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. He was. But he's also talking about this family. Make them one as we are one. May there be a unity that runs so deep in these people that they are inseparable in heart and soul. They are for one another. They're for one another's success. You see, we want to be a family where everybody feels welcome. And I mean that, that our doors are wide open. Whatever your background, situation, whatever mess you've made of your life, however good you think you are in life, that our doors are wide open to you because, hey, that was Jesus' invitation to us. And I don't know about you, but I made quite a good hash of my life. And Jesus says, I love you. Come. Come. You're welcome. And so we want to be a community that has wide open doors and deep sense of belonging, where each one of us finds friendship and family. And I know those can say, just be like nice patter things to say. Oh yeah, better say we want to be a family, find friendship, da 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 But we do. It's a, not an optional for the people of God. We celebrate intentionally the diversity that God has placed among us. And boy, have we got some learning to do on that, by the way. I'm not saying we, it's not we're there, because diversity can look like a thing on the outside. It can look like an outside kind of glory, but God's calling us to a deeper kind of glory, a hidden glory. Well, the, the, the thrust of the world, as you well know at the moment, is no, separate, go away from each other, hate each other, fear each other. I'm not surprised that in these days God is saying, no, my church, unity, togetherness. Why? Because Psalm 133 says this, Behold, how good and pleasant is it when brothers dwell in unity. It goes on to say, For there the Lord has commanded the blessing. How good it is. This, is. this is God saying how good it is when brothers and sisters, not just across churches across town, but in this family, how good it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. Because there God commands a blessing. And I've been thinking about what does blessing mean. Because sometimes I think we kind of go, oh, it means that God will suddenly send revival. Well, he may well do an amen, God, do it as we pursue unity. But remember Jesus' prayer was, Father, make them one as we're one. And as I've thought about this, I think, do you know part of what the blessing is that God commands is that we get one another. When we pursue unity we get one another. So you get me, and I get you. And you get you, and you get you. And God says, you're my family, brothers and sisters in Christ. He said this on the cross, didn't he? As he was, see, Mary was there, and John was there. And he said, Mary, your son, John, your mother, you get one another. What, Jesus, hanging on the cross, dying, struggling for breath. I tell you what I'm doing is a hidden glory. Not only do you get relationship with God, but you get relationship with one another. And this family 
The connections are deeper, more significant than our earthly families. That's why Jesus said, he said when, when the disciples came and said, your mother and brothers, brothers are here. Do you remember that moment? And Jesus says, who are my mothers and brothers? <laughs> who are they? This is my mother. This is my brother. And what you get in God's family is so significant that actually our earthly families look like nothing in comparison. I think we've got to do the hard work of learning to deeply love one another. So let me finish with this. Behold how good and pleasant is it when, my brothers, when brothers dwell in unity. For there the Lord has commanded a blessing. The Apostle Paul takes hold of that in Ephesians 4. I, therefore a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. There are days where we have to bear with one another because, quite frankly, we do each other's head in. But we can't stay there. Eager to maintain unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called into... In, to the hope, to the one, sorry, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You see, unity in the church is not an option. And it's not just an out there thing. Churches find each other. It's here thing. It's love one another. And it's to look like something. It's to look like this community so deeply love one another and use the the love and time and our skills and our blessing to one another. We prefer one another's needs. We meet one another's needs in this body. If, if one part hurts, we should all be hurting. If one part's celebrating, we should all be celebrating. We're there for one another's success. We are there to lift one another up. When Emma and I were in Montana a, a few years ago, uh, it was a few years ago, last year, um, this time last year, in fact, oh, hold on, I've just got a Montana moment. Um, we went, the couple we were staying with, um, their son and daughter took us to... Um, a gig, and it was a bluegrass gig, and boy, did I feel out of place, but it was amazing. And this guy sang this song um, that has never left me. I just, this refrain is always in my head, and it simply says this, build him up and never knock him down. And that's the church. Church, build him up and never knock him down. Build him up. Be builders of one another. Encourage one another in God and all the more. Why? Because Jesus is returning for his bride. And he's taken us from one degree of glory to another. So we've got to be humble and patient. We've got to be kind. We've got to bear with one another. We've got to be eager to maintain unity in the spirit. We've got to speak truth in love. See, the enemy's strategy is this, divide and conquer. <laughs> that's his strategy. If I can divide him, I've won. Hey, let's love one another. Let's outdo one another in loving one another. Let's meet one another's needs. I tell you, there is need in this room and across our sites and in the church in the town where we should be putting our hands deep into our wallets to serve one another. We should open our homes to one another. We should invite one another in. We should be hospitable to one another. We should love one another. Um, just very quickly, in the summer, I'll tell you what it doesn't look like. In the summer, we... We, we didn't go away for a summer holiday. We just had a staycation. We did a few things with the kids. One of the days we took, um, I'm like, oh, let's do an escape room with the kids in Bristol. 
and then looked at the price and thought, that's a bit expensive. Um, so we ended up doing an escape room, but around the streets of Bristol. And it was a two-hour escape room. It was only 25 quid, and I was like, this is great. So we rock up, got Emma and the kids, and the guys in this escape, play, escape room place, you know the escape rooms? You've got an hour to escape and solve all the puzzles. Anyway, so this was one where you go around the city, and you have to try and solve this thing in two hours. And they gave us this massive black suitcase. And I could just see the boys' faces, June and Ollie's face, just drop. Like, you what? <laughs> and then they gave us this capsule. And they said, right, basically, off you go. Everything you need's in there. So we start to walk around the, around the streets of Bristol. And suddenly, this little speaker that they gave us starts blaring out all these clues in the middle of the town centre. And the boys were just dying on the inside. And Phoebe thought this was the best thing ever. She was literally like, that man's wearing a hat. And look, that word says spy. And she, she was there. But the boys were absolutely dying. And the, and the first clue was only just down the road from this escape room place. And you have to open the suitcase. And as soon as you opened it, of course, this speaker starts blaring out. And no matter what you did, turn it down. And so I saw Jude just walk a long distance and sit on a bench. And we got the first clue wrong because we didn't have the boys' help. And I, I was just, yep, this is what family doesn't look like. But so often, the church looks like this. Oh, I'm, Jesus, I love you, but your church, I'm dead embarrassed to say I'm part of this family. Like, they just make a noise, and I just want to go, shut up! You're so embarrassing! Can't you just turn it down? And she just goes, no, this is my manifold wisdom. And then, when we went on to the next clues, and when it was kind of slightly more hidden, um, <laughs> the boys suddenly kind of came a bit closer, and they were a bit intrigued, and, and then we got, the, we got the, the riddles right when they were around. It's just such an illustration of the church. Hey, we need one another. We're not to solve riddles, but to build one another up and never knock them down. And those boys were dying of embarrassment. And, and like, they were like, we'll do it again, but as long as we're trapped in a room where nobody can see us. <laughs> I've, I've learned my lesson. Don't be a tight Scrooge and pay a bit more money. So, practically, one thing. You see, we have a term guide that's over there, that tells you about our groups that we run every term. And this is the primary purpose of that, is if you are new to Gateway, we want to help you connect in to this family. We want to help you find a place where you belong, where you're loved and welcomed and accepted, where you can grow in Christ, be encouraged and be a blessing and an encouragement to others, where you can use the gifts that God has given you. What it doesn't do is say, we've only got these groups and there's nothing else, because actually we're here, God has given each one of us a part to play. And I want to say this to you, that our heart is that as we get the new term guide ready for, for January, that there will be passions in this body. There will be gifts in this body that need unlocking. And you carry something in yourself going, I'd love to do that. There's something I'd love to do to meet the need. Something I'd love to do to encourage people in faith. Something I'd love to do to build people up. I just want to gather this kind of group of people and get to know them and strengthen them. Let me say this as clearly as I can. If you've got a passion that builds a body up and doesn't knock it down, we want to say, yes, please. You only have to sign up for one term. You don't have to, it's not this lifelong indebted thing. But we want to say, please strengthen one another and love one another. And we will do our best to help you do that and serve it. It's not about the booklet. You don't even have to necessarily have your group in the booklet, but we want to say, come on. God has given us gifts to build and strengthen, to honor and, and lift one another up. Because do you know what that is? It's so simple. It's a hidden kind of glory. It's a hidden kind of glory. As we go low to serve one another, so often we want my 
I, my, boy, I can do this if I'm not careful. God, I want to do great exploits for you that even the world look on and go, oh, isn't that amazing? Wow, the church is... Sometimes God works that way. But more often than not, it's the way of the cross. It's treasure in earthen vessels. It's a hidden kind of glory. He looks like... It looks like just going and serving somebody who, and loving them. And to be quite honest, you'd rather do something else with your Thursday night because they're rude. I mean, I'm talking about in the church. <laughs> going and helping somebody who's struggling in life and faith. Coming alongside and goes, that is glorious in the eyes of heaven. Look, heavenly realm, manifold wisdom on display. It actually is quite simple. Jesus says, love God, love one another. And that displays the glory of God in the church. So let, let's stand, I'll pray, and we'll ask God to do this in us. Father, we thank you that you are the God of glory. And we thank you that you came and took on human flesh. And that you revealed you, who you are and your glory to us in and through the person of Christ Jesus. And we saw him, and we've seen him, and we've heard him, and we've beheld his glory. And we say, we love you, King Jesus. We love you. We love you. There may have not been in your physical body, there may have not been anything that would have drawn us to you, but you are life, and you are light, and you are hope and truth, and you are good and glorious. And we thank you that, that you are the image of the invisible God. That the hidden glory in you displayed God to us and that we now know the Father because we know you and I pray for us here that that we would grow in passion for your glory in these days and that as we do that we would begin to grow in passion for one another and that we would we would long to outdo one another in showing honor and building one another up and strengthening one another and serving and using the resource and the gifts and the talents that you've given us to build and strengthen this body, even right here. That this would be a place where we so deeply love one another and there's such a unity and bond of peace in the Spirit that even those who don't know you would say they are Jesus' disciples. And so we bless what you're doing here. And we pray more of you, Holy Spirit. Just as Haggai said, my spirit will remain in your midst. Thank you, Lord, that you have sent us your spirit and that you do dwell among us as your people. And I pray that in these days we would, we would learn what it is to enjoy this hidden glory in your church, now on display for the heavenlies to see. The world might not see it, but one day they will. But I pray, Father, that we would be a people who so deeply love one another that it glorifies you. That we give ourselves away to one another that you're glorified. So we bless your name, Lord, I of this body. Lord, that the gifts and the talents and the skills and the calling that you have placed in each one, I pray that you would help us, one another, to fan it into flame, to call out the gift of God within one another for your glory and for our strengthening and encouragement in these days. We pray, Lord, as the world is becoming divided and, and moving away from any sense of unity, we say, unite us together in you for your glory, for a sign and wonder. Amen.